And welcome, welcome, welcome to our very first podcast called No Mercy. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm BJ. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor and I uh, are young community activists. We met as part of the Democratic uh, party in our local county. Neither of us are from Florida. Neither of us were born in Florida. We live in Florida now. And we have been watching this last election cycle very intently. And we have so many offline conversations between the two of us. And then Taylor was like, we need to take this to a podcast. We talk so much smack. And... <laughs> I've had to beg him to do this, by the way. You did, uh, because I thought, well, let me tell you why I thought that. I thought that, did we really have anything more to say that was substantive? And I still think the answer is no, but... Me too, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think as inartful as our conversations are between the two of us, I think that we still have a voice. And I think that other people are having similar conversations. And I thought, you know, maybe people would like to hear two young millennials, millennials. talking crap about what's going on in politics, how it affects our lives. I, I think that's, I mean, that's why I wanted to start the podcast, because our conversations are real. They're not scripted. They're not what you see on the media and by politicians. They're, these conversations are spoken by two people who the, the national what happens on the national stage affects us on a personal level. And I think people are, they don't hear enough of real conversation. So that, that's why I wanted to start the podcast. And by real conversations, I uh, will say that, you know, our, our conversations do get intense. They get, uh, and not intense in an angry way, but they do get... Uh, They're <laughs> passionate. Our conversations are passionate. So how our podcast is going to be structured, um, unless something crazy happens, uh, we'll discuss like what's going on in the news, current events, and what we think that will the ramifications that that will have on our lives um, as millennials. We'll also get into some listeners' questions. And then at the end, there is going to be a segment that we call No Mercy. No Mercy. And No Mercy is when we go all out on a topic that has us messed up in the head and that we just need to get it out for our listeners to hear. Sometimes you will agree with our analysis. Sometimes you won't agree with that analysis. I think most certainly you won't agree that it is the best way to approach <laughs> that analysis, but <laughs> it is a no holds barred, unfiltered segment for us to be able to just vent and use the microphone in your ears as our therapy. And we appreciate that. And that's the key word here, unfiltered. We're not holding anything back here. We hope that is in is entertaining enough for you guys to listen. We really did kind of prepare what we wanted to talk about on our first episode. We had it all planned out. We had bullets. We had uh, like the Georgia Senate runoff. 
We were going to talk about what's going on in Florida. We had all this stuff planned out that we were going to talk about. And then Taylor, your people went crazy. Oh, these are not my people, honey. Don't you dare say that. No, <laughs> I do not claim them. I rebuke them in the name of Jesus, honey. You, if, you, if the listeners don't know, you've probably been living under a rock. But we recently had uh, a moment of insurrection in this country where the president of the United States started off with a seditious act of riling people up in front of the White House. And I am 100% in support of the right to peacefully assemble. But let me tell you... There's a difference between protest and a riot, a violent mob of white people stormed the Capitol. They, they took siege to the heart of American democracy. And it wasn't just Trump that was responsible for this. He was not the only one who incited this, okay? The six senators, including Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, and then there were a dozen Florida ha- uh, House members that wanted to object to the counting of the electoral electoral college votes. And it, it's it wasn't it's not just the president that he has enablers in Congress like Mitch McConnell and and they they allowed this to happen. We warned we warned them that this was going to happen four years ago when Donald Trump was inaugurated as president. We told them this was going to happen. I agree with everything you just said, that there's certainly responsibility that can be distributed amongst everybody. The president's hands are clearly not clean, but there are Republican um, office holders whose hands are bloodied. I'm sorry, but what happened on the Capitol was fascist and Antifa is anti-fascist. I'm like that is the literal definition of Antifa. Antifa had nothing to do with what happened on the Capitol Wednesday. We got to talk about how in the world did, number one, a bunch of people even got access to the Capitol? How did that happen? The United United States government spent $750 billion on defense every single year. So why, why wasn't there ample security at the uh, at the Capitol. You tell me. I mean, honestly, it had to have been. It was. It, I mean, it coordinated with certain members of the Capitol Police. Well, I, I think, think. Yeah, you were telling me that that it seemed like a coordinated effort, um, and that they worked that the that certain elements of the Capitol Police worked in conjunction with this these insurrectionists. So and and I call them terrorists. They are domestic terrorists. They are traitors to this country. They are traitors to the U.S. Constitution. They are traitors to democracy, and they should be treated as such. And they're still sitting on their Facebook pages and their Twitter accounts, boasting about what they did. By the way, think about who was in the Capitol at that time. You had both branches. I'm sorry, both houses of the legislative branch, both the Senate and the House of Representatives there. You had the vice president there. You had the vice president elect there. The speaker of the house was there. The majority and the minority leaders were all there. This literally 
the only people that were missing that would have made this a um, state of the union was the, the president. So in the state of the union is the most secure, literally the most secure area in the world when it's happening. So secure to the point that they actually don't allow people in the president's cabinet to attend just in case there's like a mass casualty that there is someone who can take over if for some reason everybody in that building is like blown up or something. So I don't understand how a bunch of terrorists could get access to the Capitol with that many important people in our government present all at the same time, except to say it's just racism. I, I, you got to tell me, you, you got to tell me how it happened. You have well, to I don't know how it happened, but I, I also want to draw a comparison to the Capitol on lockdown with every single student in America who has to hide under their desk because of mass shooting events. They had to hide under their desk. They had to barricade the doors, turn off the lights, turn off their phones so that this mob wouldn't know where they were. They had to hide. And that's what our students have to do every, every single day. And I'm, I'm, I hope that maybe, maybe that lockdown, maybe being worried for their safety and, con and concerned about whether they would go home to see their families that night changes our conversation about gun control and, sa and the safety of our public schools because our, our government went through that ordeal. I have no hope. I, I, I am certainly uh, appreciative of the hope that you have of things changing, but I have no hope in these people. And it's part of the reason why we're fed up with, with our representatives, because there is no accountability. There is no leadership. There is no moral authority. There is nothing that would make me at any point in time, both historically, presently, or even hopeful in the future that they're gonna do anything different. We have them right now sitting on their hands wondering, well, are we gonna impeach him? Is it worth it to impeach him? Oh, you know, let, let's, the cabinet, let's just have them do they, the 25th they are Amendment. Doing that. Yeah. They don't wanna take responsibility. They wanna pass off their duty to the cabinet and to make Mike Pence, the vice president responsible for removing Donald Trump. I mean, at what point, what is it gonna take? We saw this coming. There is no one who was, who was paying attention, honestly paying attention that could not say that they did not see this coming. That's, that's the point, the Capitol Police and certain members, certain law enforcement agencies knew that there was an, a possible imminent attack on the Capitol on Wednesday. They, they knew this, and yet there was this mass failure to prepare and to prevent this attack. I don't, I can't remember who it was that posted that more people died in this attempted coup more people died than in Benghazi. To think the hearings and the endless news cycles that 
we had to endure over what happened in Benghazi when four Americans were killed when that embassy was overrun. We had more people killed. We've had now five. Um, I think the fifth person did unfortunately pass away either late last night or early this morning. And so now we've had five people who have now died as a result of this, and which is more than Benghazi. And it, ju- and it just feels like crickets from the other side the, of the aisle. The Secretary of State had to testify to Congress for 12 hours. Without a pee break. About, <laughs> with, I mean, for 12 hours about that incident in Benghazi, in Benghazi. And yet nobody has had to testify to Congress. Congress is not, as a whole, I I will say that there are certain members who are the squad, you know, Ilhan Omar and Cori Bush and and AOC, they, they are fighting for us. But Congress as a whole has not done anything there, there, there have been no consequences for any of the white men who, who stormed the Capitol. You know, I was talking about this with my cousin uh, last night, and we were talking about how if this were uh, a Black Lives Matter movement, which it would never be, it, it just would never be because that's just not what Black people envision doing because they are quite familiar with the consequences of even thinking about doing something like that, let alone carrying it out, just the thought of even contemplating storming up on the U.S. Capitol would get you in prison for conspiracy (laughs) at at best or dead. And we were talking about the level of restraint that the Capitol Police used. And so this idea of Police need more training. Police don't need more training. Police demonstrated quite well that they understand fully how to exercise restraint when it comes to mob violence. I would even say it was too much restraint. They didn't even, as far as I know, they didn't arrest anybody. They were and they were able to just wander off and, and go home when, whenever these fuckers wanted to. They were in complete control of their of their bodily autonomy. I am happy that they did not treat these people the way they would have treated people of color, had people of color organized and orchestrated this. Because I I feel in my heart of hearts that if the Capitol Police had sprayed that crowd with bullets the way they would have done with people of color, that we would have descended into a civil war. White people would not have responded uh, kindly to seeing on national television people who look like them basically sprayed down with bullets in the midst of their insurrection. I think, I think the fact that they exhibited restraint prevented this country from descending into civil war. We don't react the same way when we see black bodies and, and, and brown bodies on the ground you know, bleeding. It's just, we just react differently to those, to that imagery as Americans. I just think that we would have descended into a civil war if spread across our television screens, we saw a bunch of, you know, white women and white men laying on the ground bloody because the Capitol Police responded with lethal force. I'm not going to say that 
I didn't want the police to do that. But I think it goes to show that the police, that law enforcement know how to de-escalate situations. They they are fully capable of not shooting black men and women in the back seven times. They, they, you know, and they always say, oh, well, it was in the heat of the moment and I feared for my life. I saw a gun. Well, we all saw these domestic terrorists with, with weapons. They, 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 we, we saw that on the news. So police know how to respond to potentially lethal situations without police brutality. And yeah. that's the point that Black people have been making is that we want to be treated the same way. We, we don't want to be suffocated to death for a counterfeit dollar bill. Don't you think that they knew the police were not going to respond in a lethal way? Slave catchers don't catch their own kind. <laughs> I had to take a swig of water for on that one. Uh, explain. We know that the police historically originated from white people um, policing or catching runaway slaves. So that that's my point. The police were historically uh, slave catchers, and mm-hmm. they're not going to punish um, their their fellow white white citizens, their fellow brothers and sisters. So there's this picture where the chamber of the House, I'm not sure if it was the Senate or the House, but the glass was broken and you could see um, security agents, they were in suits. So I wasn't sure if that was Secret Service or it didn't seem like Capitol Police because they were dressed in suits, but they had their guns drawn and they were pointed at the windows and you could see people's faces in their eyes sort of peering through the broken glass trying to get into the chamber. Did did you see that picture? Yes, I did. That was, that's the house. Okay. So I was thinking if you have just broken the glass to get into the house chamber and you are peering through that broken glass and you're seeing guns drawn on your face. Like why the hell wouldn't you back away? You wouldn't back away because they knew they weren't going to shoot. That's why you wouldn't back away. They knew you not going to shoot me. You ain't going to shoot me. And guess what? And I'm going to make it into this chamber. And they did. They did. At, at the time of that, when the picture was taken, at the time that the picture was taken, there were members of the house in, in that room. They were still on the floor at the time that that picture was taken. So somehow the Capitol Police or the Secret Service or whoever was able to escort those members out just before those terrorists, these rioters, these anarchists stormed in onto the House floor. The level of comfort that you have to have to peer your white eyeballs. Not not comfort, the 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 privilege. The level of privilege that you, thank you for correcting me. She does that often, y'all. Um, the level of privilege you have to have to peer your eyes through the broken glass of the House of Representatives with guns drawn on you and to know 
you're not going to shoot. We're going to make it in here because you're not going to shoot me. To know I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it out of here alive. I'm going to go home at night and I'm going to have dinner with my families and I'm going to post my selfies and my videos of me storming into the, onto the cap, into the Capitol and on, you know, on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on parlor, I'm going to get to celebrate, you know, my, what they see as their accomplishments. This is a sad state of events when a man dressed up like a bull or whatever the hell he was dressed oh, up. Oh, was he? I call it, I call it a Chewbacca bikini. <laughs> <laughs> that is an insult to all the Star Wars fans that are listening right now. See, I, I don't watch Star Wars, so just apologies to the Star Wars fans. But what the fuck was that? Uh, I mean, how, how the hell does someone dress like that? And I mean, like just the Duck Dynasty crowd, Overpower, supposedly one of the most secure locations in the United States. This is a national security emergency because these people were unorganized, but basically over, overcame or overrun or, or outmanned, out, overpowered. Outnumbered. Outnumbered the, is, the Capitol Police. the correct term. And there, I mean, there are video out there that show that there were some elements of the crowd that were at least the Capitol Police tried to. There are other there are other videos that show them taking selfies and show them letting actually letting people in and allowing them access to the Capitol ground. But but, but the, here's the thing: like the these white people claim to back the blue. And that come on now. blue blue lives matter. Come and on. yet I, I heard that four or five of these white motherfuckers chased a black cop and like accosted him and attacked him basically. Now I don't I don't know if that's true. I haven't I haven't fact checked that. But I I don't want to hear one more word. Um, from white people about how much they appreciate the police and how much they they love their but their brothers in blue. I don't I don't want to hear any more of that bullshit it's because all clearly lie. y'all y- y'all fuckers don't. They they I mean black people are saying Black Lives Matter too. I mean it's an unspoken to there in that statement and and yet white people immediately respond with what blue lives matter. Well, when when being a police officer is a motherfucking choice, being black isn't. If a police officer is so scared of actually doing their job, of interacting with the community in a peaceful way, then they don't need to be motherfucking police. If they can't do their job correctly, if they can't not kill every black person they come across, then they don't need to be fucking police officers. They don't need to have a gun. They don't need to be armed. I have people in law enforcement in my family. I've had conversations and uh, so do I with one of them and police in the line of duty, you know, being a police officer is not even in the top 10 most dangerous professions in the United States. It's not. And even people, the, the number one cause of police officers who die uh, in the line of duty don't die at the hands of dangerous people. They actually die in traffic accidents trying to get to an emergency and flying through traffic 
and, and, and getting in, in fatal car accidents. That's the number one cause of police who die in the line of duty is traffic accidents trying to get to an emergency. So this idea that, you know, I deserve to come home too. And, you know, every time I walk out that door, I'm risking my life. That may be true, but you ain't risking it more than other people. I can name you 10 other professions that are risking their lives much more than police officers are. Police officers aren't risking their lives any more than black people are. Oh, black people, black people can't even sleep in their own goddamn homes at night without being shot at. They can't go on a jog without being shot at. They can't ride in their own fucking vehicles without being shot at. She said it, y'all. She said, y'all friend said it. I I said what I said. (laughs) (laughs) And I want, and I want to say that every single one of those motherfuckers who voted to with, with in in accordance with this objection, they need to be expelled from Congress. They they do not need to be able to hold elected elected office ever again. You cannot support or in any way encourage a coup and then still get to serve in the government in which you try to overthrow. They need to have they need to have to have like minimum wage jobs and struggle to survive like the rest of us. And so I think people are tired of there being a different level, a different standard for certain people, certain elite people, and the the everyday average person. And I in no way am excusing anything that they did. But when watching videos of some of the things that they were saying, there was this one kid who was like, you know, they laugh at us. They, they think that we're stupid. They think that we're dumb. And we do. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. They, they are frustrated with the government and yet they still fucking vote for these people. Mitch McConnell still won his reelection. If you're so upset with how the government is working, then vote for somebody fucking else. I mean, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, that, that's the definition of insanity. Like, quit quit complaining about your circumstances and then electing douchebags to office. Well, I, I, have, I, I have no sympathy for these motherfucking people. I don't have any sympathy for them either. And, they, and I don't really think it's about them uh, voting. I think it's a, just about them being upset that the American fabric that they know and that has always upheld a system that will support them no matter what they do, no matter how they behave, no matter how they react, they are thinking, because I don't even think it's a realization, they're thinking that 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 reality is going to change and this is their last hoorah-rah. I don't even think that reality is going to change. I really don't. I have very little faith in America ever, you know, letting go of white supremacy. But for some reason, these people do. These people think America, for some reason, is going to not keep them, you know, at the top of the chain. And so this is what they feel as though they have to do. And it won't work. Power concedes nothing without a demand, and they're not even demanding anything. They just want chaos. It will not always be this way. And maybe, maybe that's my privilege talking, but I I still I still hope. 
that one day it will be different. Throwing rocks, you know, through a Starbucks window, that is wrong. I don't support it. That is vandalism. That is not protesting. That That is not peacefully assembling in a public space to demand something of the government. Once you pick up a brick or a rock and you start throwing it through storefront windows, that is no longer protesting. That is vandalism. Once you burn down a Popeye's, that is no longer protesting. That is arson. And we have penalties for those types of crimes. So this false equivalency that I am seeing on cable news and that I am reading on social media about how this is no different than what has happened with the civil unrest over the summer uh, with people protesting the killing of unarmed Black people, that this, this false equivalency of saying that those are the same, it is not the same. It is not the same at all. They are upset because their guy lost. Correct. They think that something was stolen from them. They think that there was this massive voter fraud. And and they're wrong. They're completely wrong. I mean, Georgia itself has recounted the presidential ballots three times. And every time they did it, they found more votes for Joe Biden. So I, I don't, like, I don't even... I don't understand. But they made the how... they made the damn rules. They made the rules. When you throw stuff through a window and you vandalize it, there is a penalty for that. When you burn down something, there is a penalty for that. It is not the same. Storming a United States Capitol to try and overturn an election is a coup. That is insurrection. I didn't make the rules. That's not my my opinion. That's not my analysis of the situation. That is just fact. So it is not even the same legally. It's not the same argumentatively. Those are two different discussions. So I completely agree that someone who attends a protest and then decides that they're going to throw a brick through a store window, that person should be arrested and should be prosecuted for vandalism. The punishment for vandalism is very different than the punishment for insurrection and for treason. I didn't make As it those should rules. be different. Exactly. I didn't make those rules. It's not my fault that what y'all did was treason and what other people did was vandalism. So, but and they also vandalized. <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, they. I mean, there are so many images of the destruction at the Capitol, and and I even saw one where someone had scratched into a door or a window or something that said "Murder the media, murder the media." Exactly. And I'm just. But they hung a noose. They did, and but get this: it was right next to a giant cross, and with signs that say "Jesus saves." And I'm like, how were those even had like the mental gymnastics that you must do to think that Jesus is in support of whatever the fuck you're doing? I mean, what what the fuck? Well, on that note, we're going to take a break and come back on the other side with all your questions. Stick around. Welcome back. The next part is going to be us answering your questions. If you have a question that you want Taylor or I to answer, you can email us at podcastnomercy at gmail.com. That's podcast, 
no mercy, all one word podcast, no mercy at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your comments, your thoughts, send us your critiques, what you want us to talk about. We'd be more than happy to bring up issues that you all feel as though are important for us to discuss. If you want our take on it, we will give it to you unfiltered, unapologetically, and with no mercy. That's podcastnomercy at gmail.com. So our first question is from Carolyn. And Carolyn says, Dear Taylor and BJ, can you address the issue of reparations? I think that we should do something to compensate people for the original sin of slavery, but it just seems too hard and too complicated to get people on board. Thank you, Carolyn. Well? So I, I think... It's a good question. It's an excellent and question. It's an excellent question. And the here's I think um, the issue of the logistics of reparations is it something that we need to figure out. That's the government's responsibility and the government's job. They can figure out who gets paid and who doesn't. But I think that reparations definitely need to be um it needs to happen um and and even reparations wouldn't be enough to to apologize or to make up for slavery I, i don't think there anything there is anything that can but it's a step in the right direction no i i agree and and i do uh i do understand carolyn's thoughts and i validated that it is complicated it is uh, confusing, it's complicated. But what I would add to that is um, we historically have been able to figure out complicated things. And so we shouldn't let the fact that it's complicated hinder us or deter us from, from moving forward with this. And how you do that, in my view, this is purely my view, how you do that is if you have, you got to learn your history. So for 245 years, we enslaved Africans. This country is only 243 years old. So we have, we have enslaved people in this country for longer than this country has even been in existence. So- and let's, let me just say, people think that slavery ended such a long time ago, but uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, his, the, the newly elected or, or elected senator of Georgia, his mother picked cotton and he made it a point to say grandmother that grandmother, sorry, his grandmother, his 82 year old grandmother, uh, the same hands who picked cotton got to vote for a, a, a black candidate. Right. And so let's just be honest here and say that, you know, we think that slavery was a lifetime ago and it wasn't. And, you know, we act that we act like racism is a, a, a done deal and it's solved and that it's not causing problems. And clearly this, you know, racism is not solved. It's not going to be over anytime soon. Right. And but so I mean, even after even after the emancipation, we still had one hundred and five years of Jim Crow. So these the, the formerly enslaved people of this nation and their descendants, you know, they faced unimaginable 
violence and terrorism, discrimination and equity that has basically was passed down from one generation to the next. We've got 17 generations. Think about it. Most people can't even count back, count past their great grandparents, which is, which is just three generations. We've got 17 generations. And that's being, that's one of the more conservative estimates because that's based on 20 year generations. And when we know historically, when you read you know, textbooks and you read the text that a lot of um, enslaved women were basically raped and impregnated as soon as they had their first periods, which was you know, 13 or 14. So currently, you know, in today's age, we call generations 20 to 25 years. Back then, you know, they were raping and impregnating girls, you know, at 14 years old. So I would say 17, maybe more like 20 generations. And even after that, after Jim Crow, we had 40 years of mass incarceration. So. And it's still ongoing. And still. I mean, the person who wrote that crime crime bill is now president elect. So don't. You interrupted me. We try to get people to, to support reparations. <laughs> well, the, the point is that I mean, that that goes to my point is that. Black people deserve reparations because there is still no like acknowledgement of the depravity and the I don't even have the words to to say you know that just the of slavery the depravity of slavery and the inhumanity of it and the I mean the the depravity of white supremacy which is you know a that is the that is the American way that is our culture and and we have examples um, so whenever you're having discussions with people in your circle, you know, give them examples. We have examples where our country has tried uh, to make amends. You know, with we did reparations for Japanese Americans and their descendants for the internment camps uh, after world, you know, during and after World War II. We have tried to make some sort of amends to our First Nation and Indigenous people, although not nearly enough, we've at least tried to make an attempt uh, to do some sort of uh, economic reparations. Germany, Germany has done a lot of financial uh, reparations for Holocaust survivors, for the families of Holocaust survivors. And we've done it in this country as well. I mean, the entire Homestead Act, it basically stole hundreds of millions, if not billions, of acres of indigenous land. And we just gave it away to white gave folks it away. And, said, and said, please go and expand the West and cultivate the West and, you know, to expand our country. We just, it's your destiny. It. We just gave it away. So the idea that this country has never given things to people is just not factually accurate. And anyone who says otherwise is not interested in having a cohesive and thorough debate about this. So choose who you argue with about this, uh, Carolyn. I would say um, don't have conversations with people who are not interested in having uh, an intellectually curious discussion about reparations. Know 
your information, read your history so that they don't try and trip you up. And you, you know, you just have to know even today, white Americans have seven times more wealth on average than black Americans. So yes, slavery ended, it ended a really long time ago. But you know, the effort to keep black people from enjoying the rights of American citizenship in this country is still, still ongoing, right, it's still ongoing. And the American dream and American prosperity is still in the process of being shared and distributed, not only amongst Black people, but people of color in general. And so that was that was how I would suggest you at least start that complicated <laughs> conversation mm-hmm. of reparations. And uh, so our next question is... Uh, from Mike, from, I think. Okay, from Mike. Mike says, hey, BJ and Taylor, I don't think I am alone when I say that I am tired of COVID-19 isolation and I have pandemic fatigue. Oh, don't we all? Hopefully there is a light at the end of the tunnel with the release of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. How do we convince people in this politically heated climate to trust the COVID vaccine? Sincerely. Mike. Well, so that is like that, that will probably be one of my all time favorite questions. Um, because I think there is a, there is genuine fear there from, I mean, you look at historically marginalized groups and the government has done all sorts of experiments and, you know, and just medically harmed people in such a way so that they now have this uh, mistrust um, of the medical community. So I think it's it's a fair reaction to have, especially given how quickly the vaccine was developed. And I, I think we can we can say, you know, we can acknowledge that there's some doubt there. But let's acknowledge it. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's just say, you know, we get it. We understand that there's some concerns. But I think one way we can, count, you know, counteract that or, or um, ex- explain it is by telling people what the vaccine does and that it's not, you're not being injected with COVID, Okay, it's the mRNA, the instructions of the spike protein on coronavirus. And what what this the mRNA is, is, is it tells your body how to make that spike protein and then your body recognize it. And it's like, who the fuck is this? I need to destroy your ass. And it initiates a remo- uh, an, an immune response and is able to build up antibodies against the spike protein. So if you are, so you get the vaccine and then let's say you are infected with COVID, the vaccine enables your body to recognize the spike protein and say, I've seen this motherfucker before, you know, you're done, you're out of here. And so it, and that's that's what's so brilliant about the vaccine is that the spike protein on COVID is what makes it so infectious and so deadly. So, and and when reading about this virus, uh, the vaccine and how it was developed, that made me feel better 
about taking it. And you can look up online. I was actually just researching it before we start recording the podcast, what the ingredients are. So it's all, you know, publicly available information. So I would just encourage people to have this difficult conversation about taking the vaccine, explain to them what the vaccine does and, you know, show them, um, you know, the information online, the ingredients and who should take it and who shouldn't. And, you know, that's, that's my answer. I would have to be honest ahead of time because, you know, back in, I do know back in August, I told you I'm not getting that vaccine, but what did I say? So much shit, (laughs) but I did say that it was purely based off of of Uh, emotion and was not a thought out research, reasonable, reasonable response. Right. I said it was purely emotion and that, but that was back in August, but you have to think about also back in August, we were only, let's see, March, March, April, May, June, July, August. So we were six months into the pandemic, which I guess I, by that time I should have known better. I was actually going to use that. As, I was going to use that as a way to be like. Only six months. <laughs> right. No, we were six months in, so I should have known better. But I think six months into that, we were six months into the pandemic, but still in terms of vaccine development, historically, that is still a short amount of time. I think we have to be honest about that. Um, so, but, it, but that being said, it was purely based on emotion. So now that I have seen the, the, the detriment that it has done to us, not only from you know a, a pure life perspective, and I'm talking about actual breathing life. People have died from this. Thousands. I think you need to explain that you are a medical professional, and so you have seen firsthand the effects of COVID and what it does to the human body. Yeah. So as a doctor, I've seen a lot of people succumb to this virus in ways that. Uh, are gut-wrenching and in 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 I have been exposed to a to a level of pain and heartache that I have not seen in, in my entire career. So um so yes I, I have a frontline exposure but the majority of people don't have that exposure and so speaking to everyone uh to know that yes we acknowledge that the country has the scientific community of one of which I am a part of, has utilized uh, people for their own benefit and for their own selfish uh, gain. And we acknowledge that and get the vaccine. Yes, get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. Um, None of us are gonna get, you know, wired up to the 5G network. That's all conspiracy theory. There's no fucking microchip. And right. all I can say to those people is you ain't work worth microchipping, bitch. <laughs> you ain't important enough to be microchipped. And in case you didn't know, your phone or computer or any anytime you're on the internet is tracking you. You are already being tracked. Information is already being gathered on your internet habits right. and your spending uh, purchases. Like... They already know. Yeah. So whatever you're worried about, you should have been worried about it 10, 20 years ago. Not not because of a vaccine. Yeah. And the easiest way to be tracked, the easiest way really to get to to get anybody 
to do something that you want them to do is to get them to sign up for it themselves. So injecting people with a microchip is not the easiest way to surveil people. The easiest way to surveil people is to have them sign up for that surveillance and not even realize what they're doing. So the fact that you just purchased a phone thinking you were doing something of your own volition, you basically purchased a personalized surveillance item. It's what you did. Guess guess what? Every time you upload an image to the internet, so when when you post on Instagram and you take your selfies, anytime that is posted on social media, there is metadata attached to that image, and that includes your location. So, you know, if you're so worried about being tracked, then stop taking your damn selfies at the Capitol and take the damn vaccine. Right. (laughs) The vaccine, people. I am ready for this pandemic to be over. I am ready for us to have herd immunity through vaccination, not through uh, COVID super spreader events. And so, um, yeah, we're all ready to get our lives back to normal, to have some sort of semblance of not only normal social lives, but normal economic lives. And so it it really is time. I'm I'm glad the vaccine is out. I got my uh, vaccine and I'm just waiting for my booster, which I probably will get in maybe two and a half weeks now. So Taylor, you haven't gotten your vaccine yet because it hasn't been made available for people in your age bracket, but you will. Yes, of course I will. Like I'll be first in line as soon as I can. And you know, Joe Biden has said that as soon as he's uh, inaugurated, which he will be, like that's just a given, and that he is going to make all the vaccine doses available. So we're not going, it's according to him, he's not going to hold back any reserve for the second doses. So you may be able to get your vaccine sooner than you think. Yeah, let's hope. So... Mike, thank you for your question. We certainly appreciate all your questions. So please remember, send your questions to podcastnomercy at gmail.com. Again, that is podcastnomercy, all one word, podcastnomercy at gmail.com. Taylor and I will read through your questions and we will pick the best ones that are gonna create the best dialogue. So yeah, I think COVID and reparations are a pretty separate (laughs) but allowed us, you know, to get an idea of what uh, listeners want to hear about. So again, podcastnomercy at gmail.com and we will be back for No Mercy. And it's time for No Mercy. No Mercy is the part of the podcast where we, Taylor and I, give an unfiltered thought process on whatever's bothering the hell out of us. Okay, so what's bothering the hell out of me right now is the fact that people are still eating out of, in the midst of a global pandemic, people are still eating out at restaurants, they're getting their damn haircut, they're getting manicures and pedicures, they're, they're, they are still socializing when it is so motherfucking dangerous, not just to you but to everyone else around you and to everyone else that interacts with your circle. Okay. So it's not just, it's not just you that you're putting at risk. You know, people say all the time, well, you have to decide for yourself what's risky. But the thing is, is you have to consider not only you, 
but your family, your friends, their family, and their friends. I mean, it's, it's like, you think your circle is small, but it isn't. And, you know, I'm just stay the fuck home. Okay. Watch some damn Hulu or Netflix, like the rest of us are doing. Like, I'm just, I'm so frustrated with the fact that people think that this is, they downplay the the importance of social distancing. And I'm not talking about the people who they don't believe in COVID. I'm talking about the people who do, and maybe they wear a mask and yet they still, they're living their life as if nothing has changed. And, you know, like you need to be, you only need to be out of your house for essentials. And let's just define what essential is. So like grocery shopping, like a pharmacy visit, a medical appointment, maybe daycare. And and that's a stretch for me. But like you can work from home and you can get your groceries delivered and sit and snack and watch Netflix and just, you know, like enjoy this time that you get to spend home. Like everyone's such like in a rush and they have like, you have like no time to like enjoy and like settle down and like relax, like use this year um, that you've been like given not to, not to like downplay the severity of COVID and and the effects that it's had on our mental health. But like, you know, try to make this an enjoyable experience staying home. And I'm just, I'm just frustrated with people because they just don't get it. And, and I'm talking, I'm talking to my friends here too, because I still have friends who ask me to go out to eat. And I'm like, no bitch. Like I live with my like 60 something year old grandmother. Like, I don't want her to fucking die. Like, I, I mean, it, and, and maybe people think that's an overreaction, but it, but it isn't like there are, pe- there are 4,000 people who die, who are dying every day. And I bet that number is going to go up because we still haven't even seen this surge from when people traveled, traveled during Christmas. Like, we're not going to see that until the end of January. Right now we're seeing the, the effects of Thanksgiving travel. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm so unbelievably fucking angry at these motherfucking people who don't take this seriously as I do. I think I'm done. I think I'm off my soapbox now. What's bothering you? Mm. Well, I am going to talk about the idea of compromise because I feel as though coming up on this Biden administration, my hope is that we do not see a repeat of what happened under the Obama administration with this idea that if we just compromise to get bipartisan support, we can move this country forward. No, we can't. We can't do it. Okay, SOS. That stands for show (laughs) of shows here. Okay, you can interrupt one of us by SOS. So here's, here's the thing. The Republicans in Congress are white supremacists they are neo-nazis they are racist and you don't fucking compromise with those people you can't you can't compromise with the kkk you can't compromise with white supremacists they they cannot be reasoned with that's that's the problem they think that republicans are sane and rational and aren't fucking idiots when they are there is a consequence 
to compromise. And I just want to tell you, the three-fifths compromise, that literally, which had compromise in the agreement, the three-fifths compromise, which is when the North and the South could not agree on whether or not an enslaved person was a whole person. And so what the North and the South agreed to do in their infinite wisdom was to compromise and say, well, since we can't agree on if they're an animal or a human being, so what we came up with was a compromise to say, well, let's just make them three-fifths of a person. Really? So anyone who heralds bipartisanship and the ability to compromise as the gold standard for moving forward this democracy, just remember, any time that compromise is made, that means when you compromise, that means you are giving up something in order to get something else. So when you give up something, that means that there are people who are on the other side of that policy. So for example, let me give it just a simple example. When we had the public option, the Obama administration and Democrats abandoned the public option in the hopes of compromising on the Affordable Care Act to get Republican support. Republicans were not going to vote for the public option, so we threw the public option away. And to, to get Republicans to support the effort, none of them voted for it, by the way. Still, none of them voted for it. But when you eliminated the public option, that was not just two words that you eliminated from the Affordable Care Act, public and option. You eliminated millions of people who would have had access to the healthcare system that puts them out economically. You eliminated those people from the entire process for your compromise. You eliminated a person who five years later ended up with cancer who did not have access to chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery for your compromise. That's what you did. And, but then, and then to put insult to injury, what we did was we said, oh, but don't worry, we'll get you the next time. Come back and vote for us. Please come back and vote for us. And don't worry, we'll get you the next time. Don't worry. We were not going to forget you the next time. Yeah, we had to do this this time in order to get something passed. But don't worry. Come back and vote for us. We got you the next time. And then the next time happened. And what do we get? Compromise. And so at what point do people say, you know what? I'm tired of showing up for you and y'all don't show up for me. My life, my health, my well-being is not up for your compromise. It's not up for your discussions. So I'd rather get nothing done. I really do. I sincerely rather get nothing done than to throw people away. Because you know what? We don't never have a problem compromising when it comes to wealthy people. Wealthy people seem to get what they want all the time. So Let's talk about that tax break that they got on the, the, the Trump tax cut. Yeah, we always... They, they, was that a compromise? Hell no. Activists and marginalized people are always told, you know what? Progress is slow and it's steady and it's slow. incremental and you have to be patient, but it's going to happen. And the moral arc of the damn universe bends towards justice. Toward justice. And, and, but you know what? No, 
wealthy people, they don't have to, they don't have this slow increment. They got their trillion dollar tax cut, no questions asked. They did, they were not told, oh, you know what? This tax cut that you all want, we want to give it to you, but you got to get it incrementally. You know, <laughs> you got to get your million here and then your million there, and then your two million the next election cycle go around. And then, but come back for us, vote two more years and we'll, we'll get you that next million that you want. No. $2 trillion tax cut, no questions asked. And so, then when people ask for $2,000 a month during a pandemic when they're jobless and hungry, oh, we instead they get the debt. $600. We got oh, to think about the national debt and what we're doing to the pocketbooks of our children, Taylor. That's what we got to think about. The hell. So anyway, that is why I'm saying compromise I'm done with compromise because there are only a certain demographic of people who are always asked to come to the table and compromise. There are only a certain group of people who are consistently and systematically always being told that, well, why don't you just be patient? Just, just wait until the next time and we got you. And the rich and the powerful are never told just wait, we got you. They have Never their told lobbyists. to wait their turn. Right. They have their lobbyists. They have their corporate donors who are going to go on Capitol Hill. Hell, they don't even need lobbyists at this point. The literal people who make the decisions are in their pockets. And that's Democrat and Republican. Let's just be real. Mm-hmm. So there's only a select few. Of representatives in right. Congress this is not an that indictment. are not owned. This is not an indictment of any political party. This is my rant on anyone who feels as though their path to victory, Amy freaking Klobuchar, who can't keep her damn bangs from trembling on stage. This is what I think of you when I think of compromise. I think of our American system couldn't even come together to decide whether or not enslaved people were people. So we compromised and made them three-fifths of a person. So anytime I have these Democrats who are in my family, Democrats who are friends of mine and in my circle, who tell me, oh, this is all we can get. Well, you know what? I guess all we could get was that I was three-fifths of a person. So I guess I should have been happy with that. You know, I could have been no person. So we gave you these scraps. What you upset about? We gave you three-fifths personhood. Why are you upset? Ungrateful. How dare you? We could have given you nothing. What a hell with that. I'll take nothing. I was nothing before. So you either going to give me my personhood or you not. And I'm done. <laughs> I, I agree with every single word you said. Well, so that does it for No Mercy. We are... Glad that you all tuned into our very first podcast. Uh, we hope to have many, many more, but that will be up to you. That will be up to how you guys listen. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your wherever you get your podcast. Please tune in, subscribe, and as the new episodes upload. They'll go straight to your device or whatever whatever you use to listen to podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. We also want to thank Anchor for sponsoring the platform for us to be able to speak to you guys uh, through your headsets. 
And again, I'm BJ. And I'm Taylor. And this is No Mercy. No Mercy. Biatch. Ha, ha, ha.